Good morning and welcome to Faith Baptist Church. It's great to worship with you and we worship Christ, the risen Savior. If, if you're new to faith, welcome. You're all welcome and we come and we come to cry out to God and say, God, you are God. We look to you and, and we need you. And so, we're glad you're here. If you're new to faith, we want to know. We want to get to know you. We want to connect with you. We want to send you a gift or just even and even a card. And would you fill out that orange card? Maybe you got one when you came in, or there's an orange card in front of you in one of the chairs. Fill that out. Put it in the offering plate, or even just hand it to me or one of the deacons or the ushers afterwards. That would be a help to us, and I hope it would be a help to you. Several announcements. I'm gonna. You, You can look either in your bulletin, there's a reminder, or up on the screen there are some reminders. But if you hear, coming ahead in June, but we need people to start signing up. Julie, is there a sign-up already for that? Okay. There is uh, the ladies' conference, which takes place in June, is going to be coming before you know it. It's June 23rd through 25th, but you need to start making plans now. And so sign up for that. There will be a lot more content about that coming up. And you've already heard about that probably in different ways, and you'll hear more about it later. Um, If you didn't get one of these invite cards, similar to this, same size as this, but the Easter one, Monday, Thursday, and Easter Sunday are the two main events that we are going to celebrate Easter. Thursday before Good Friday, we will have communion on Thursday night at 7 o'clock. We won't have our normal East, our normal midweek services that Wednesday. We'll all meet together on Thursday, and we will be celebrate. We will be looking to the great and glorious work that God did. It is it is something amazing that the the greatest tragedy, in one sense, the innocent Son of God was crucified. We call it Good Friday. And there's a reason. There's a great reason. But we are going to celebrate that Thursday night. It's the church had called it Monday, Thursday, uh, and I've already given it a little bit of explanation, but I realize every time I say it, what is Monday, Thursday? It's not Monday, like Lee Monday, and it's not Monday, like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. It's Monday, Thursday, which really is the Latin word for commandment. Jesus gave a new commandment on that, on that Thursday night when he washed his disciples' feet. It was right at the time when he says, and I'm going to do something greater than you greater than you can imagine as I go to the cross. And he loved, he says, I want you to love one another as I have loved you. So Thursday before Easter, you have that card not to remind you about it. You have that card to remind you to invite somebody else to those services. Thursday night, Sunday, Easter Sunday, please do that. Uh, A few other things. Next Saturday, I should say this coming Saturday, Six days from now, we're having our marriage seminar. It's not too late to join us, but we need to know if you're coming this right away. So if you haven't signed up, there are registration cards for you to fill out. Give this, give this to us, and we need you to start paying as soon as possible. We, can, uh, we ask that the, if, if you possibly can, pay today so we can have that set as we order, uh, make final orders for that. This will include a meal. Um, Right at the, at the end of it, it will include a book as well as a seminar I'll be teaching on the drama of marriage or what does God have to say about marriage that's coming this Saturday. Now to our fighter verses. Several verses 
And I would encourage you to take these verses. They're in your bulletin every week for the coming week. Use that. Cut it out. Put it somewhere prominent. Or, or get the app. You can get the app on any smartphone, iOS or Android. You, go, you look, take that, and you can meditate on Scripture that we are doing that together. It is from First John chapter 2. Did anybody memorize it in such a way that they would like to say it? Jessica, are you ready to say it for us? Thank you. Amen. Thank you. Amen. Let's 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 say let's say this together by reading it. Here we we had this on Wednesday night, we were missing a phrase and we got the phrase back up. We we realize you don't take scripture away. Let's, let's read this together. Follow my lead. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Just, I, want, I want to wrap up with this, and then we're going to go into we're going to go into worship, and we're going to have then communion in just a few minutes. The world is passing away, along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. We must ask ourselves: Is that real? And am I living like I believe that's real? Do I believe that's real? What does it mean to abide? Whoever does the will of God lives forever. What is it? Is it he does all his commands, and if we do all his commands, then we earn our salvation? One might think that if we only had that verse. But we have verses all over the scriptures that, including from John, that say that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. And that believing is the type of believing that hangs on to God's words and says, it is the words of life. Just like if I believe a doctor and he says to you, to me, Daniel, for you to be healthy, you need to do this and this and this. If I believe him, I'm going to do this or this or this. And I'm not doing it and therefore earn a reward from the doctor. I'm Believing and living out my belief. And so those that believe in Jesus, they grow to love His Word and obey His Word. They are the people that God gloriously, graciously, mercifully saves. And so let's worship that God this morning. So God, would you help us now? As we come before you, we need your help. We, God, I, I believe you're... Your word, the Bible, is more nourishing than any meal that we could ever have because it gives gives us, our souls, what we need that will last forever. 
God, this meal that we're going to take of, the Lord's Supper, in just a few minutes, symbolizes our need to eat of Christ and to drink from Him, our Good Shepherd, who laid down His life for us. I pray that You would cause us to yearn for it more than anything else. I pray that the teens in this room, I pray that the young kids in this room, I pray that all ages in this room would have such an alertness to that the fact that they are going to live forever. And that we would look at this short breath of a life as a preparing place to enjoy you forever. Thank you that we can sing now. And thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. We'll sing two songs before we take the Lord's Supper together. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in Him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Whoever believes in Him, Jesus, is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Again I say, for God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life life. We are coming to this table, and most of you have been part of this communion table and have have taken with us, but some of you may have not done that so far. So I, I want to read what you may have received when you came in. Some of you got this, maybe some of you didn't. The Lord's Supper is a special way in which Christians remember God's amazing love through Jesus Christ's death on the cross for our sins. On the evening before his crucifixion, Jesus took a loaf of bread and in a cup of wine and gave it to his disciples to eat and drink together. The bread, Jesus said, is the symbol of his body that would be broken for them, and the wine, a symbol of his blood that would be poured out in order to grant them true forgiveness of their sins. The Lord's Supper is also called communion because in partaking together, believers experience close communion and fellowship with each other because we're with Christ and in Christ. So today as we eat and drink, we remember together who we are. We're undeserving sinners, graciously forgiven and united to Christ through the death of Christ. And Faith Baptist Church welcomes all baptized believers who have forsaken their sin and are trusting in Jesus Christ for the salvation to come and take communion with us this morning. If you are not able to receive communion, maybe you're at a place where you're like, hey, I'm new to this, I'm not sure yet. You know what? We want to talk with you. We want to share with you the good news. I hope you're going to hear that this morning in the message in just a little while. And so, if, if you don't feel comfortable coming, that's okay. You can stay where you are. 
And everyone else, we're going to invite you to come in just a minute, and you're going to perform two lines, and you're going to come, and you're going to take a piece of bread, and you're going to take a cup of juice, and you're going to go and sit down and wait. And after we're all done with that, then I'm going to leave you in eating. But if, if, you, if you feel like, hey, I, I, I think I need to wait, that's okay. I'm praying for you. We're praying for you. And there's, a, there's some instructions here to pray and ask God to help you. God, help you open your eyes to see who this Jesus really is and what that means in your life and the gift he offers you. For those of you coming forward, this is an amazing reminder of what God has done for us and and promises to do for us now and forever. So come and take in faith. When you come, look around you, not to judge but to, to be so thankful that you are together with other, with you, you're a sinner, I'm a sinner, we're all sinners, saved by God's mercy. And thank God for that. And look at one another to say, I'm called to love them. Christ died for them as he died for me. He had mercy on them, and he has mercy on me. How can I not share it with others? How can I not forgive others since Jesus has forgiven me such a great, all my great sins. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he gave this meal to his disciples. And he said something to Paul, the Apostle Paul later on about this meal. And he says this, as often as you take of this cup that we're going to have right here, As long as you take of this bread, you proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. We're going to talk a little bit about death this morning from a biblical perspective. And death can only, death has lost all of its sting, all of its truest pain, its deepest pain because of Jesus' death on the cross. And so, this is not a sorrowful meal right now. This is a meal that brightens us joy and brings us life and brings us forgiveness. And so, I'm going to pray and thank God for it. And then if you form two lines and come and take communion, then I'll leave you in it. Oh God, thank you. Thank you for your love. We are people here needing your forgiveness. And we thank you that you offer freely your forgiveness for everyone who just comes to Jesus and repents and is humble and broken. And I pray that we would come, not defending ourselves, but come humbly to you, trusting you, and thank you, thanking you for this remembrance as we take. And I pray, praise you for it. I pray if there's someone in this room that needs to truly know deeply that their sins are forgiven and that you can only do it. I pray that right now or this service, they would believe unto you and they would know and have that peace and the hope. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and let's come.
said about Jesus, that from him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through Jesus to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. We were enemies, and we were against God in our hearts. We had rebel hearts at the very core, and Christ came in and said, through my blood, I am going to make you my, not only my friends, but my family. I love the song that says, what can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. So we're going to try this. I'm just going to say it, and you're going to say, nothing but the blood of Jesus, okay? So if you, at all point, you say nothing before we leave. And ponder this. What can wash away my sins? What can make me whole again? Let's give and thank. Let's eat and thanks. And what they did was they sang songs after that. And so we are going to give thanks to God. I'm going to invite you to stand. We're going to sing the song of Moses. And would you pass your cups to the middle aisle? The deacons will come and collect the cups. And we're going to take the Grace Fund offering now. That's, a, that's, a, that's our separate offering that we go to those that are in special needs, that we can help those in our church, help those in our community, to help minister to them. We're going to take that again, and so let's stand and let's sing and worship. I don't have one text of Scripture this morning. There's going to be a lot of texts of Scripture, but if you would turn to me, turn with me, to the book that we've been looking at and we'll continue to look at after after Easter, would you turn to Colossians chapter 3? Colossians 3 verses 1 through 3 I, I want to read, or 1 through 4 I want to read, and then I'm going to pray and ask God to, to help us. I mentioned this on email and social media that this morning and for the next two weeks after this morning, and I guess it would be the next four weeks because Easter naturally brings us right into this as well. I want to speak to you, and I pray be used by God to help you truly ponder a very important subject, a subject that we often do not think about. The, su- the sermon series that I'm going to pre- preach in the next three weeks is called The Best is Yet to Come. I want you to think about that. The best is yet to come for those who are in Christ Jesus. I want to talk about the best is yet to come. And, and more than that, my, my subtitle of this series speaks to what I pray will be, what will happen in a greater way in my heart, your pastor's heart, and in your heart, and in this church, and for our children's heart, and you Parents, as you lead your children in this, here's the subtitle, Learning to Long for Heaven and Live Like It. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4 says, If then you've been raised with Christ, and as we go slowly through Colossians, we'll see what he means by that. We've been raised with Christ. 
we will be raised with Christ. There's a way in which we've been raised with Christ. And there's a way we haven't yet been raised with Christ. If you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on the things that are on earth, for you have died. And your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with Him in glory. God, I pray that you would help me. Oh God, please help us. Would you take the veil away from our our head? Would you take away the cataract of sin in our eyes that would keep us from seeing your glory and your beauty this morning? God, I pray that you would cause any lack of appetite that is because of sin or spiritual Problems, and I pray that you would give us an appetite for the things of God like we haven't before. I pray that all of this, I pray that your, it would be from your Spirit, your Holy Spirit, that you promise to give to your people and you promise to use when your Word is preached. And so, God, I pray that the Gospel will come forward as we talk about this subject. And I pray that we would long, Father. I pray that we would long for heaven and live like it. In Jesus' name, amen. In Hebrews chapter 11, we find Abraham being commended to us. It says this about Abraham and his wife and his family, that they died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and have acknowledged that they were strangers and they were exiles on the earth. They were pilgrims on the earth. They, they recognized that this earth, this world right now, they were pilgrims. They were travelers. For people who speak thus make it very clear that they're seeking a homeland a traveler makes it clear if they're a traveler, this isn't where they're home. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone back, they would have had opportunity to return. But it is they desired a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared for them a city. It's my desire, my burden this morning, and in the next several weeks is to so speak to you on the subject of heaven and what the best is yet to come. It is to speak to you about the reality that God wants each one of us to long for heaven and live like it. C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity talked about this subject in the chapter called Hope, and he said, There is no such thing as being so heavenly-minded that you're no earthly good. He said, in fact, those people on this earth that made the greatest difference on this earth are those men and women who thought the most of the next. It is those people who believe that this is not their final resting place, that this is not where they're meant to prepare heaven here, but that it's somewhere else that they were able to be free 
they were able to preach because they were to gaze upon that great heavenly vision and yet live here investing in that because they looked to the God that had given them that hope. I, I will not... I will be very clear in saying that the reason why I'm speaking this series at this time and interrupting the book of Colossians to do that is because God has brought an event into our life over the last few weeks, and most of you know that we lost one of our families. The Quasaranos, Len and Heather, and the four kids went to be with Jesus. Most of us went to the funeral or to the vigil, and we have grieved together, we've cried together, and frankly, for most of you, it has not left your mind, and it hasn't left my mind, and it causes our minds to ponder and think on eternal things. So over the next three weeks, I want to answer three questions. What ha- Three very important questions. These are not questions that, okay, this happened, we need to get these answered, then we move on with our lives. These are questions that need to be answered, and then they, they are things that need to be treasured in our hearts and believed upon as they point us to God, and they are meant to impact everything we do in all our lives. It impacts how we go to work and how we parent and how we're a husband or a wife, how we live with people in our community, how we care for other people, how we think about our own mortality. My goal is to help us have head knowledge, but to have much more than head knowledge. My goal and burden is that we would have an increasing longing, a desire, and that it would, it would result in a practical living. It would result in a laying up for ourselves treasures in heaven. It would, it would revolutionize how we think about our money and how we think about our time and how we think about the talents and gifts that God has given. It would help us think and actually think with great joy and with great encouragement. That it would impact how we go to this book every day, not just Sunday. To say, I want to know the God of this book who reveals himself to me and has revealed this glory. Because it is glory. It is amazing what God has promised to those who he has redeemed. You're familiar with this. If maybe you're not, I want you to hear this. C.S. Lewis who has impacted me greatly on this subject. In his last book, The Last Battle, he ends the earth of Narnia, the magical world for Narnia, which was a beautiful world with many kingdoms where kids from our world came into that world and actually all the worlds were breaking up, being dissolved, and then they were being brought into a new world, the new Narnia, And he describes a little bit, in a helpful way, heaven. He spoke, this is Aslan the lion, who is the Jesus-like figure. And as he spoke, he no longer looked to them like a lion, but the things that happened to happen, began to happen after that, were so great and beautiful that I cannot write them. And for us, this is the end of all the stories And we can most truly say that they lived happily ever after. But for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. 
all their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only become the cover and the title page. Now at last they were beginning chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. The hope of the Christian, and as we see in the next three weeks, I pray the hope we'll see that the hope of the Christian is breathtaking. It, it is it is so amazing, and I pray that we would so earnestly start to long for it in a deeper way, not as a form of escapism, not as a form of things are just so bad, I just want to get out, I want to hide in my house and wait till I go to heaven. No but as a form of worshiping God and knowing the God that has promised this and so living for that realm, that future reality now and wanting to bring as many people into it. My, these next three weeks, this morning I'm going to cover a subject that is a subject that we often don't want to avoid, or at least in our society, in our culture, we want to avoid. We do not want to think on negative things. We do not want to think on subjects of death. This morning I'm going to talk to you about death and the believer. Oh, death, where is your sting, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 55. Next week, I want to take you to not just where, where after death, I want to talk to you about the resurrection of the believer. Jesus said something very interesting and yet very strange and something that should cause us to go, what does that mean? Jesus said in Matthew 13 that the righteous shall shine like the sun in the glory of the Father. Did you know that it is the hope of the believer, and if it's not, we need to start making it our hope, that someday, someday God is not just going to take souls and then that's it. He is going to take us and actually resurrect our bodies that will resemble our current bodies to some degree. There's some continuity, but any continuity only will be for good and for joy but it will bring a new body, and it will be a glorious body. And the Christians of old and the saints of old that wrote in this word in the New Testament said this was a great hope that they longed for. Have you longed for that recently? Lastly, we're going to look at heaven and the believer. Far too often, we buy into all dogs go to heaven mentality. You ever watch that old cartoon movie where that dog did not want to go to heaven? And the reason why he did not want to go to heaven is because heaven would be absolutely boring. Sitting in the clouds, playing a harp. That's not the picture of heaven. Revelation 21 says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. And we're going to look at what is heaven. What is God planning and promise? What does He reveal to us in Scripture? This morning, though, I want to talk about this subject. It's a, a very important subject. It is a subject that relates to every single one of us. It's a subject 
that unless Jesus Christ comes back and takes us, unless he returns, every, there we have a, a 100% mortality rate, meaning every single one in this room will go through the experience that I'm going to talk about, and that is death. In 1651, a, a pastor in London, England, preached a funeral sermon, and he entitled it this way, A Believer's Last Day, His Best Day. He said in his sermon, A Believer's Last Day is His Best Day. His dying day is better than his birthday. This will be a very sweet and useful point to all believers. Because death is a change of place, and it's a change of company, and it's a change of employment. It's a change of enjoyment. It's a change of all changes, and it is an eternal rest, but it's an eternal rest with incomparable joy, incomparable pleasure, incomparable company, incomparable action that our minds can't even fully wrap around. This morning I want to answer three questions about death. Because I do believe that though none of us would choose in our wisdom, in our plans, to have what happened to our family, the Quasaranos, go home and be gone. They, were, they, they left us in one Morning. If we're honest, we all know that that reminds us that anything could happen. We don't know what could happen tomorrow. I don't know if I have 40 years. I'm 40 years old. I don't know if I have 40 years or four years or four months or four days or four hours. And neither do you. Not one thing is guaranteed. And, and God wants the believer, the believer in Jesus Christ, to so live, not fearing death, but understanding what death is about, and understanding what God is out about better, because He's revealed that in His His Holy Word, His the Bible, and to so live intentionally, to live intentionally as we parent our children, as we care for our grandchildren, as we care for those around and maybe teach in Sunday school, or we go to our neighbor in our, in our workplace, or our neighbor in our community, or our neighbor in our schools, and we say, I want you to know the answer to the, pro- the greatest problem you have and the awesome solution. The three questions that I want to ask about death this morning are this. Why do Christians die? Second question is, what happens when people die? And how should we think of our own death and the death of others? How, why do Christians die? What happens when people die? And how should we think of our own death and the death of others? You may be sitting here and say, I know that, Pastor Daniel. I already know that. I, I believe this will be good for all of us. 
to fix our minds, to remind us what we already know, or to spur us towards thinking on some things that we've never thought about. And I tell you what, as I've studied this, my heart came away going, thank you, God. This is so good. This is so good. This is so good for Daniel Patz's heart as a pastor who does funerals and who ministers to others. This is so good for the congregation in here to hear. We need to keep this before us so we can live in a world grieving over death, yet with hope. Okay, here it is. Why do Christians die? Is the first question I want to ask you this morning. You thought about why do Christians die? That does beg a question, well, why do anybody die? It does say in... Hebrews chapter 9, that it is appointed unto man once to die, and then the judgment. In Ecclesiastes, in Job, and other passages, it says that man is a short vapor. It's, he's compared to a breath. It's compared to a shadow. It's gone. And we're going to answer the question of what happens to those that are not Christians if they die. And even what does it mean to be a Christian? Because that's going to make us go, what is that? Do I really have that? Do I really understand this? But why do Christians die? A Christian is what I define as someone who has received the free gift of eternal life by by returning away. We call it repentance. They turn away, change their mind about who Jesus is. He really is the Savior and the only Savior. And I surely can't save myself. And I want His gift of free of eternal life. And I receive Him. And I turn to Him. There's a lot of ways of how we say it in the Scriptures. Like Paul said to the jailer when he said, How do I be saved? And he said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Peter, in responding to those in the early church when they said, So what do we do to this message of the good news? And he said, Repent everyone. And what he meant is turn to Jesus and say, Jesus, you have to do it. You're my only hope. You died on the cross to take away my sins, to be my substitute. And you rose from the dead to be my life. And I don't understand how that works, why for sure it works that way. I don't have to know why or how other than you said it and I believe it. We receive it. Pastor Jack's going to be doing a funeral of a man tomorrow who received Christ a few years ago. Pastor Jack led him to the Lord and he got got up with praying and having received Jesus and said, boy, that's simple. Pastor Jack said, it's simple, then why haven't you done it before? Why hasn't there been so many people that haven't done it? You see, it's, it's not simple because our hearts turn towards something else. To truly, simply believe Jesus is our Savior is what makes someone truly a Christian. When that happens, when they believe, His Spirit comes in and it does a beginning of a work and He stays within us and He's going to continue that work to the end. Colossians is about that. We're in Colossians and we'll pick that up after Easter. Colossians is about, okay, I've now become a believer. Now how do I walk in Him? How do I grow to be true maturity so that someday I won't be I will be fully where God wants me, truly grown up in my faith in Jesus? Why do Christians die? Here's the first answer. Death is not a punishment for Christians. I want you to hear this. Death is never a punishment for Christians. 
Because Romans 8.1 and the testimony of Scripture says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so my death or anyone's death, if you are a believer, is not a punishment for your sin. It is not, okay, he saved you, but you've got to pay one more. You've got to pay your punishment by your life being taken. No. Jesus said, it is finished. I took it all. The wages of sin, the punishment of sin, the payment for sin is death. But Jesus took that death on the cross. Jesus took it. If Jesus took it, I believe it. Death isn't my punishment. I get the free gift of God, which is eternal life through Jesus Christ. That's my reward. So the first answer is death is not a punishment for Christians. But number two, death is the final outcome of living in a fallen world. Death is the final outcome of living in a world that has been subjected to futility, Romans 8, one, Romans 8 says. It has been subjected to decay and futility in hope. God subjected it there after the fall of Adam and Eve. And we live, and our death is a final outcome of that Reality. God has chosen not to give Christians all the benefits of their salvation at once. God has chosen not to remove evil from the world all at once. Indeed, Death is the final evil aspect of the fallen world to be removed. In 1 Corinthians 15, he says, and then the final enemy will be destroyed, death. I would compel you to look and meditate on 1 Corinthians 15, 53 through the end of the chapter. In fact, all of 1 Corinthians chapter 15 or Romans chapter 8, where our, it says we... If we suffer with Him, the sufferings of these present time are not worth compared to the glory that's going to be revealed to us, that this creation waits in longing because we're in this futility. We're in a fallen world. Everything about it, all of the world that we're in, everything, God has subjected it. He has allowed it to be in this state of fallenness. And, and we look around and say there's beauty, but we have to say every cell of this universe has, I believe, has in some way been tainted by the fall and is subjected to futility. All of it, even the great, the good that we look around, the beauty that's there, the glory that's there, is all subjected and some in hope that someday God is going to restore. That's going to be the coming weeks. The fact that so much that we do see is good, is tainted with evil, what would it be like when it's not tainted with evil? But we do look around us and we see sin and suffering. We see earthquake and tsunami and destruction and pain and cancer. We see suffering and abuse and sin and hurt everywhere we look. We watch it on the news. We read it in the paper. 
We read it on blogs. We read it on our Twitter feeds. We read it everywhere else that suffering is all about us when we live in a fallen world. That is why we are God. We are, it is the final outcome of living in a fallen world. The third reason, answer to the question of why do Christian believers die, is God uses the experience of death to complete our sanctification. God is so kind and loving to us that He not only saves us, but He wants to make us into a creature that is so beautiful and so much like Him and so glorious. He truly loves us. And if He truly loves us, He wants to make us into something commendable and something beautiful and something glorious. And He has so chosen this world and the suffering in this world, including the suffering that is that leads us to death, is to so cause our hearts to, to be dependent on Him, to be reliant upon Him every moment, every day. And death brings it to us in a great and powerful way. Christians will experience suffering and death because God is disciplining them. The reason why believers die is because God is disciplining us. Now, here, it may sound like the opposite of what I just said in point one, that God, we, don't, we are not punished if we're in Christ. Discipline is way different than punishment. Discipline is what a, a loving Father says, I want to give you. I want to I so grow you and teach you through discipline. When you work out in the gym, you're disciplining your body. You're doing it for good. God is doing it. It's not punishment. God is disciplining and caring for us. doesn't mean our death is a result of a specific sin in our life. No, we don't often understand what God is up to, but we do look and trust Him that He is doing something. He is conforming us. He's making us like Jesus. One of the most glorious verses in all the Bible, in the best chapter of the Bible, is Romans chapter 8 and verse 28. For we know that for all those who love God, He works all things together for good to those who love Him and are called again according to His purpose. All things He's working together for our good, including death, including the death of others, including sickness and trial and tribulation and pain. God works all things together, and though this earth we will re- we will rejoice and yet be sorrowful. We looked, when we looked at those last two weeks, we will be sorrowful and we will mourn and we will ache. And there, are, there is aching in this room that I know from loss of spouse or loss of parent or loss of friend or, or loss of dreams in your own life that I can't imagine yet your pain. For the believer, God has us in this world that someday... So we'd be made into His image. And He says God works all things together for good. And I believe, and we're going to see these in the next couple weeks, that even our suffering on this earth will be redeemed. Not one tear that has fallen from your face will be lost upon the redeeming work of Jesus so that someday in heaven all of your earthly tears and pain will not only be wiped away, but will be transformed into actual joy in heaven. I, I, I don't understand. They'll, we'll look back and go, that was really good, God. Not the sin of others. 
not cancer, not those things. Those are all the effects of sin. But you are good. You are working. Thank you. In fact, I have more joy in heaven because of that hurt on earth. And the hope of the believer clings to that. They don't understand it all. They even don't feel it all the time. But they believe it. Death is part of God making us like Himself. He loves us too much to leave us where we are. I, I love... Who, what I love, I care the most about that they would be improved, that they would grow, and so is true with God. There are other reasons. Why does a believer die? It's because we want to complete, death completes our union with Christ. If we suffer with Him, we will also be glorified with Him. And one of the ways is we have union with Christ in our death. Yes, we will die just like Jesus died, but Jesus died and rose again. The first fruits of the dead, of the new life, the new humanity. And we follow our Savior. One last thing I want to say about this first question. Our obedience to God is more important than preserving our own lives. Our obedience to God is more important than preserving our own lives. That is really important. We believe as Christians that though we aren't punished for our sin, our death isn't a punish for us, He God is sanctifying us. We believe about death that God, obedience to God is more important so that men like Paul could say, I don't count my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if, I don't, if only that I may finish the course. Or they said we would rather obey, we must obey God rather than men. And we must live our lives saying, my life is short. God is more important than death or life. God is my God. I'm going to live forever. So whether I live or I die, I'm the Lord's. That is the commitment that's the calling of a Christian. Number two, what happens when people die? It always goes into our mind. I talked with my kids about it the last few weeks as we ponder the loss of our friends, the loss of Len and Heather and Luke and Brendan and Rachel and Grant. Well, the Scriptures make it very clear in some ways and and fuzzy in others. What is very clear is that the souls of believers go immediately into God's presence. Death is a temporary cessation of bodily life and separation from the soul of the body. When we die, our body stays here, our souls go to Christ Jesus. We don't know exactly how it happens. Do angels take us? Many saints of old have said and believe that that's probably God sends angels and they there's a triumphal entry into the presence of Jesus Christ for all those that have believed and are in Christ. I don't know. Molly was talking with my daughter the other day, my five-year-old daughter, and she asked, how did they get to heaven? And Molly said, well, Jesus might take some. And she, she said, do they get teleported? I didn't know she knew what that word was. I don't know what that is. We don't know. But there are many passages of Scripture 
2 Corinthians 5.8. For we walk by faith and not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage. We would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are home or away, we make it our aim to please the Lord. Paul said in Philippians 1.23, he said, I don't know what's better for me to be in the body. I know what I'd rather be. I'd rather be with the Lord. Because death means presence with Jesus. Life right here, right now, means ministry for Jesus here on earth. What we do know is that for the believer, there is no such thing as a place called purgatory. That is not in the Bible in any way. There is no place where people go to get more reformed so that they can get to heaven. No, it is what happened. It is faith alone in Jesus Christ and Christ's work that is applied to their account is the only merit and is the only way to get into heaven. And that is our hope. I can say with great joy because my conversations and my knowledge of the Quasaranos, and that would be true of anybody else that I know that have gone, have died, to say they are with Christ. And the Scriptures is very clear on that. It was the criminal... One on one side, one on the other side of Jesus. One who called on Jesus and said, Jesus, today will you, he says, will will you remember me when you go into paradise? Jesus said to him, today you will be with me in paradise. Because death or absence from this body means presence with the Lord for those that believe in him. But to the souls of unbelievers... It's not a cheery subject, but it is a needed subject because it is a subject that all must come to reckon with, all must care about in order they bring this message to others. The soul of unbelievers go immediately to eternal punishment. Never does Scripture encourage us to think that people will have another chance to trust Christ after death. Never. We have many passages about judgment after death, but... One is in Luke 16, Jesus tells of a poor man dying and being carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in in hell, being in torment, he lifted his eyes and said, Please give me mercy. And and, and God, he didn't have a second chance. The Bible makes it clear that there is judgment after death. And to all who fear to trust in Him alone and receive His free gift, eternal life, but to all of those that do not receive His gift here in this life, they are lost forever, and it's called hell, and it's a conscious punishment. The church has always believed this, and we must always believe this. When I say the church, not just Faith Baptist Church, but the church since Jesus... Some have said, well, that teaching isn't a whole lot in the New Testament. I tell you what, where it is, by Jesus' own words, over and over again, He taught us this, and we must believe it. And if we don't, what are we doing? And that should motivate us to run from it and believe Jesus, and to tell others to receive the good gift of eternal life that comes through the message of salvation in the gospel. So how should we, third question, how should we think of our own death and the death of others? Well, of our own death, Christians are are encouraged. 
I, I forgot to say this at the beginning. I, I was immensely helped and given this outline by a, a very helpful book called Wayne Grudem's Systematic Theology. I didn't want. I didn't think I could improve on it, so I I would commend you to look there, and I will share that source to you later. But the third question is, how should we think of our own death and the death of others? Of our own death? Christians are encouraged to view their own death, not with fear, but with joy. And I tell you what, that takes faith. To not view their own death with fear, but with joy. Paul said this so clearly at the end of 1 Corinthians. And in chapter 15, he said, O death, where is your sting? Where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? It's like he's taunting it. Where is it? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gave us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Or Paul, when he says, I, he says, we walk by faith and not by sight, yet we are of good courage. We'd rather be from the bot, we away from the body and a home with the Lord. So whether we're a home, which is right now in our body, or away with the Lord, we make it our aim to please Him. Paul said at the end of his in his ministry in Philippians, he said, "It's my expectation, it's my hope that I'll not be ashamed, but that with all full courage, as always, Christ would be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. I don't care. I just want to honor Him." For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. He said to die is gain. And if I live on in the flesh, that means labor, fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I can't tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. We're going to see what that means in the next few weeks. Being with Christ, what does that mean? And what will that mean when He raises our bodies anew and sets us in the new heaven and new earth and remakes all things new? That is something, and I don't think this is possible. This longing for and not, this not fearing death and longing, having a joy and a longing to be with Christ is, only, is not possible if all we do is feed on the white bread of the world, if all we do is fill our lives with TV, fill all our lives with entertainment, fill all our lives with every desire of this world, and all of that, our minds and our hearts just go there, and we will not have taste buds for what God has wants us to have. Now, what, how should we view the death of other Christians, other friends, other relatives, our mom? Our spouse, our friends like the Quads of Arms, how are we to view their death? When Christians, friends, relatives die, our joy for their eternal joy and bliss, their, their state of complete happiness and freedom from pain should be there coupled with, coupled with, sorrow and grief because we deeply, deeply miss them. It is part of our human state to have that longing. That's how God made us. It is not wrong to grieve and miss and be in sorrow. We see the pattern of the saints throughout Scripture grieving, but they grieve, according to 1 Thessalonians 4.13, as people that have hope 
because we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so Jesus will bring all those who have fallen asleep. That was the word in the New Testament. Those that have fallen asleep, they're dead. He's going to raise them up. I love what Jonathan Edwards said in a, a sermon called The Christian Pilgrim. As he was trying to comfort those, and he said, he said to those that, this was in the 1740s, he said, for those that have grieving the lost loved one and relative and friend. Keep this in mind while you grieve. They are in a happy condition. Inconceivably blessed and happy. They do not mourn, but rejoice with exceeding joy. Their mouths are filled with joyful songs, and they drink at rivers of pleasure. This is all metaphor. They find no mixture of grief. And they have changed their earthly enjoyments in the company of mortals for heaven. Their life here, though in the best circumstances, was attended with much that was adverse and afflictive and painful. But now there is an end to all that pain and adversity. They shall hunger no more, nor thirst any more. Neither shall the sun light on them or any heat, for the Lamb which is in the midst of the throne shall feed them and shall lead them unto living fountains of water, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. And yet we grieve their loss. And yet long for our day to be with them. And then how do we, how do we think about the death of unbelievers? By which I mean the people friends, relatives, family members, maybe some in this church, some in this room, who have never received the gift of eternal life, have never repented and looked to Jesus alone, who is not leaning on Jesus to be the merit or the, the purpose for why they get to heaven, what Jesus did on the cross, but are trusting in something else or just turned away from Him. When an unbeliever dies, there's no joy but sorrow, knowing that apart from Christ, they are condemned, tormented. Paul said that I, he said, I'm not lying. My conscience bear witness to the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, who were lost. Which, of course, that makes us say, I have a mission. I am here, put on this world. Well, you could go to Psalm 90, and it says, the days of our life are but 70. If by chance, in long life, 80. He says, but it's but a vapor. Teach me to number my days that I may have a heart of wisdom. How do you respond to a message like this? Here are some suggestions. One, by trusting fully in the work of Jesus Christ. There is good hope and good reason that every one of you can leave this auditorium this morning taking this message in and saying, I know that Christ is my Savior, that I have, because I have received His free gift by faith, it's not complicated, I've trusted in Him, and I want to live for Him, and I want to forsake sin, and He's going to help me. 
and I'm going to fall, but I'm going to trust in Him to pick me up, and I'm going to look to Him as my Savior. I'm trusting fully in the work of what He did on the cross. He was my sacrifice. For those, death no longer has a sting because Jesus took the sting. You need to see that. The reason why we can hear a message like this and walk away with hope and not be afraid is because someone actually bore the entire sting of death. There was someone that went on a cross and the whole horror of my sin and the punishment for my sin was poured out completely on Jesus, the wrath of God and the rejection of God of His Son for that moment on the cross. He, He poured out His wrath and He turned away from Him and Jesus took it for me. And He took it for all who trusted. find courage in this sermon by longing for God's work in your life and preparing you for what He has now and forever. Seek to know personally Jesus Christ, whose presence you will be with before you know it. That's far better. Live with heaven in mind by laying up treasures in heaven and by seeking God first in everything. Everything in your house, not one of it you can take with you. Everything in your car or your cars itself. You can't grab your family and take them with you. You can earnestly and lovingly live and share the good news of Jesus with them. You can pray and seek God's mercy through prayer. And by the way, He does answer. Many of you know that. You know how God has saved others because you have prayed and God changed their heart. How do we respond? By living. We do this by making death gained not lost to us by trusting fully in Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I pray God that in the next few weeks You would help us And even this morning, you would help some here this morning. You would help us to long for heaven and long for Jesus to do that work in our hearts and to have the right view of death and the right view of life. And I pray that this morning you would help some this morning. If there is someone here that is not saved, that they would receive Christ right now or this morning or this week. I pray that they would uh, not give it rest until they are at rest in you. And you can give that to them. And I pray you would. I pray that this morning for those that are just aching the loss of a death, the death of a loved one, whether it be the Quadranos or someone else that's dear to them, you could so bring comfort in the fact that the best is yet to come. And I pray that in the next two weeks you would so give us vision of what you have for us. You have for us in our bodies and you have for us in a new earth and a new world. And we would long for it, yet live in this world different. Before I before I close, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna sing a song. But I want to invite you, if if you don't know Christ, or if you, if you want help today, uh, I or one of our pastors or deacons would love to share you with you the hope of the gospel to know that you can 
have eternal life and help you have that hope. God, I pray that you would bring that to us all today. In Jesus' name, amen.